Welcome to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. Every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. Pacific and online at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Hurricane Sandy, wildfires in the west, brownouts in the east, farmers losing crops to the worst drought since the Dust Bowl. Climate change is no longer a prediction for the future, but a startling reality of today. It has the evidence of our changing climate mounts and the scientific consensus proves human causation. There continues to be no political action to thwart the warming of our planet. The documentary Greedy Lying Bastards investigates the reason behind the stalled efforts to tackle climate change despite the consensus in the scientific community that is not only a reality but also a growing problem placing us on the brink of disaster. We're joined today by the director of Greedy Lying Bastards, Craig Rosebra. Craig uh, is uh, has a, a filmmaker uh, of a, a number of other projects, but he's joining us today, as I said, to talk about um, Greedy Lying Bastards. Craig, welcome to film school. Oh, thanks for having me on. Well, thank you for being here. And just... Uh, Wanted to say uh, how much I enjoyed this documentary. Um, for a lot of people who uh, who already understand and know the the depth and breadth of this uh, of this issue of this very troubling issue that we're facing, um, this documentary goes a long ways towards consolidating in this information and also gives us an opportunity to know where to go moving forward. But before we get to all of that, I wanted to ask you about what went into the decision on your part to to make Greeting Lying Bastards. Sure. Uh, I have a, uh, an environmental advocacy background, and uh, as we, uh, back in, in 2008 and 2009, uh, when we were uh, on the road to the Copenhagen um, Climate Summit, uh, I really started looking at the uh, the climate change issue uh, a lot more. I'd been following it for years, but I really started following the uh, the international pledges that were going on at that time. The different countries talking about the uh, the amount of emissions they might uh, they might promise to cut, and it really looked like that that Copenhagen summit was going to be a big deal. We had world leaders that are promising to come in. Of course, President Obama attended. Uh, and I really wanted to answer the question of why, when it appeared as though the science was settled on the issue of, of climate change, why were our lawmakers not doing anything about it? And that was really the driving the driving question that I sought to answer with the film, um, because we, we do have a, a consensus in the scientific community that, that human-caused climate change is, is real and happening. Uh, and again, if we do have that consensus, why why aren't our lawmakers listening to that science and acting accordingly? And let me let me underscore that point. Um, you and there's there's some great footage in Greedy Lying Bastards uh, testimony by going back to 1988 by uh, uh, scientist James Hansen uh, mm-hmm. about the at that time some 25 years ago. Now it's hard to believe, but 25 years ago there was a recognition on the part of the scientific community that the planet was heating up and that the temperatures that were being recorded 25 years ago were the hottest on record. But mm-hmm. let's let's really kind of hammer home that point on the consensus within the, the scientific community. Um, just 
if there's some if there's an easy sort of nugget of information and or uh, an easy way to say this so that people understand just how much of a consensus there is, can you help me out on that? Well, the estimates, we traveled around the world, and what is represented in the film is, is only a tiny percentage of the, of the scientists and experts that we actually uh, talked to and interviewed. Um, we went to 14 countries shooting this film mm-hmm. and uh, talked to the leading experts that contribute to the IPCC, IPCC reports that are kind of the, the uh, fundamental uh, reports that have come out that most, wor- most of the governments around the world use to... to uh, um, base their climate policies on. And uh, every single one of these scientists and their organizations uh, said to us there is a consensus. And these are people that, that uh, aren't, aren't just uh, kind of, of, of nobodies in the scientific community. These are the top experts. We have Dr. Michael Mann, who is the uh, famous uh, author of the hockey stick graph right. uh, that was used in Inconvenient Truth, and that a lot of, a lot of the uh, projections were based on uh, going forward. Uh, we have Dr. Kevin Trenberth. We have Dr. Peter Toms, Dr. Mark Cerise. Uh, so a lot of these individuals, and of course we featured Dr. James Hansen, um, both back in his, in his 1988 uh, congressional testimony, but also uh, he's featured sitting next to Philip Cooney in the congressional hearing uh, that was investigating the, the uh, deception uh, by the Bush administration. Um, so there is widespread consensus, and we were told repeatedly uh, by the scientists that they believe it's somewhere between 95 to 97%. Seven percent of all the world's leading scientists. These are these are the climatologists that are peer reviewed. They're uh, they're recognized within their field. Uh, they uh, specialize in any number of, of climatology issues, and uh, they said ninety five to ninety seven percent of these individuals are in agreement, full agreement, that human caused climate change is real and such a dire problem that the, that the world governments need to act immediately to address it. And so, you know, I'm not a scientist. I'm, I'm a filmmaker. I'm an activist. I'm a writer. And so just like when I, if I get sick, I'll go to a doctor for advice because that's the expert. If I have a scientific question, I ask the scientific experts. And I have to trust that what they are saying is correct. And when 95 to 97 percent of those are saying that, you know, climate change is real, then I have to trust it is. They, they don't have any sort of motivation outside of, of discussing the actual scientific findings, uh, you know, to, to uh, uh, address the issue. So I have to trust that what they're saying is correct. And they have their, their own professional credibility and reputation uh, at, at, on the line, especially given the unfortunately highly charged political environment that we operate here in, in the United States. L- and I want to just take a minute to to talk about this. In the rest of the world, I I said this before we came on the air, in the rest of the world, this is settled science. Is it it fair to say that only in the United States can we have this discussion and and some people can be taken seriously that it's not settled science? Are we we the holdout uh, uh, basically with the rest of the world? Or are there other countries who are essentially holding this thing back? There are other countries, and it's it's very uh, interesting to look at you know where the the um, purposeful um, skepticism is coming from. It, it's not it's not a wide body of individuals. It comes from a small handful of very vocal, uh, primarily paid 
uh, advocates from the fossil fuel industry right. who, uh, you know, if there is uh, any kind of airspace, will happily go on and, and talk about the, uh, the mythology of climate science, in their opinion. One of the classic uh, characters that we feature in the film is Christopher Monckton, and uh, he's not a uh, scientist, he's not a climatologist, but he goes on world tours. Right now he's uh, still in Australia, I believe, on a speaking tour. He's being paid to go down there once again and uh, talk about how you know, all, the, all the climate scientists are wrong, that the climate change is not happening. And again, this is, this is in uh, direct uh, combat with what 95 to 97% of the world's scientists right. are you know, in agreement to, and they're the scientists. He's not. Uh, so, you know, it's, it's not just the United States, although the U.S., I think, is probably the worst in terms of a holdout at this point because yeah. of the media attention that uh, continues to be given to the denial campaign. But we also have, you know, um, uh, locations uh, in Europe. We have uh, New Zealand, Australia, for instance, that continue to give these characters uh, publicity and airtime to to uh, air their their uh, misguided misguided truths. I, I guess, and I guess um, the, my question, or I think, what in your response, I think you you answered the question, but most specifically, the people. The, there's individuals within countries. I'm saying, in terms of a political establishment that is resistant to the idea, there are only a few holdouts. The United States, obviously, is the most prominent. Obviously, for reasons that have more to do with the influence of the fossil fuel industry over our political class is really more of what this is about. Uh, and by the way, in Australia, I just want to point out for our listeners, and I also want to point out to our listeners, we're speaking with Craig Rosebrough, the director of the documentary Greedy Lying Bastards. It's in theaters. Um, in fact, in Southern California, you can see it at the Lemley Playhouse 7, as well as Lemley's NoHo 7 in North Hollywood, the uh, Lemley Playhouse 7 in Pasadena. But I guess my point in, in bringing this up is that um, they have uh, – we are prominent in terms of the world in holding out because of the fossil fuel industry and because of their influence over our political class. Isn't that fair to say? And that's really a lot of the documentary. Yeah, I, that's very fair to say, and that's that's the core of the documentary. And looking at the question or answering the question of why there hasn't been any political action to address the issue, we really focus on the U.S. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, it it really here for for uh, an unfortunate reason it became a, a very partisan issue, uh, almost split directly down party lines. So if if you're in the Republican Party, you you are looked down upon and criticized heavily if you recognize uh, climate change as being real. And, uh, you know, you, we can trace that directly to the contributions and uh, given by the fossil fuel industry, the lobbyists, the amount of power that they yield, and then, uh, of course, the, the great amount of influence that their front groups and their spokespeople have had at uh, confusing the American public and lawmakers on the issue itself. So right. definitely the United States, in terms of the lawmakers, I think are, are the by far the, the worst holdout uh, in terms of, of this being settled science and, and believing that it's settled science. The scientists are all in agreement. There's no question there. But, but uh, you know, the, the lawmakers and even some of the general public still have yet to come on board and, and uh, really realize that this is settled science and such a dire problem that it needs to be addressed immediately. And, and, the, the, and it's, it's, 
it's important to point out just how effective this obfuscation, this campaign of obfuscation has been. Uh, and, and you even kind of allude to it in a, in a, in a, in a way by saying that 95 to 97 percent of the scientific community is in agreement that this is what's happening. And it's this small, very, very small window in which the, uh, the media of the sort of the echo chamber of the right wing is able to, and I'm talking about Fox News and some of the right wing radio hosts who are so good at taking uh, disparate pieces of information and try to pull together uh, some thread of a of a, a common a common thought and it's just it's just not the case but they've been very good at this oh, exploiting this and in the documentary greeting lying bastards you identify some of the more prominent spokespeople as well as uh, in identifying the people who were the money people behind this including the Koch brothers next on mobile um, mm-hmm. and so and that this is the thing and you you mentioned earlier Copenhagen um, 2000 and was it 2006 2009 2009 and how important that 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 conference was and looking back i think uh we will rue um our inaction on what happened uh and look at copenhagen 2009 as a as a real bellwether on the effectiveness of these people at obfuscate going back to their highlighting the so-called, what was it called, climate gate that uh, I saw on Fox News continually exactly. uh, during that period of time in which they manipulated. Well, go ahead and tell us that story, I'm, I'm, please, a little bit about climate gate. Well, uh, as, as I mentioned at, at the beginning here of, of the interview, uh, in the, on the road leading up to Copen, Copenhagen, it really seemed like the international community was, was going to come together. And I think a lot of people around the world expected some sort of, of concrete results coming out of, of this international summit. This was the largest uh, gathering that the United Nations on any issue had ever held. It was the most highly attended by world leaders yeah. uh, ever in U.N. history. And uh, just before the conference began, uh, there were a, uh, a hacker released a series, I think it was upwards of 4,000 emails from the University of East Anglia server uh, that were communications between uh, many of the top climatologists in the world. And the, there were allegations of misconduct, of fraud that were, that were leveled against these scientists um, based on quotes that were taken out of context and information that was taken out of context. But, of course, you know, they, they really use that. The, the denial campaign and the skeptics really use that as their chance to, to, uh, to really exploit uh, the denial campaign and cause some kind of doubt, put some kind of doubt in the, the public's mind and also in lawmakers' minds about climate science, as if it's not settled science yet. And uh, what happened, of course, was Fox News you know, jumped on the story right away and ran, I think the number of stories they ran and all their affiliates and everything was in the thousands yeah. about ClimateGate. Yeah. Um, and of course, all the stories were very slanderous, talking about how this is the biggest fraud that's ever happened you know, in, in scientific history, etc., well, a series shortly after that, a series of independent investigations occurred uh, around the world um, into the into the scientists and the and the allegations of fraud, 
and uh, there were a total of eight. Um, but at the time that, uh, that, that we made the film, there were six independent investigations that had already transpired. And all, all those six investigations exonerated 100% of the scientists involved, saying there was no wrongdoing whatsoever. There might have been a few words that, that uh, weren't as polite as they should have been right. towards, towards the, uh, the industry. Uh, but they were all exonerated. And, of course, how many, how many news stories announcing those exonerations do you think Fox News ran? Yeah. I, 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 we, we, had, we had yet to find any, yeah. you know. Yeah. So, it, you know, and in the, in the damage that was done at Copenhagen is, is uh, very obvious. Um, lawmakers were, uh, you know, politicians there were having to deal with whether or not uh, the science was settled once again rather than, in, you know, instead debating on how best to address the issue. And really, it really put us back, I think, uh, on that issue a number of years. Um, and, and moving forward since then, there really hasn't been any concrete, concrete action on the international level to deal with it. Um, so uh, in the, the, the impact that ClimateGate had uh, you know, also reached into public opinion directly in the United yeah. States, where yeah. we saw a, a great turnaround of the, the amount of public support for action on climate change uh, in this country. And that's a great point. I mean, it's important to point out, as you said, President uh, newly elected, President Barack Obama attended Copenhagen in 2009. Uh, he hadn't been president for more than a few months, and also it it did cause a dip in the support, or how do you say this, in, in the public's mind for what climate change was or you know whether or not it was real or not and but now we're seeing those polls begin well they've already turned around now i think the consensus with the american public is back to the at least at those levels of understanding and and uh wanting our political class to act on this as an issue am i was that a correct statement that the polling yeah, is definitely true. definitely a correct statement. Yeah. The polls polls have shown public opinion has turned back around right. by and large in in terms of a belief in climate change yeah. and the desire for our lawmakers to act to address it. And I think that's been directly a result of seeing seeing the severe weather patterns that we've experienced in the last couple of years and in hearing the scientists link that to the warming of the planet. Of course, we had in the last couple of years, severe droughts uh, throughout Texas and the lower region. And this last year, we had a major drought, uh, upwards of, of uh, the worst drought in 50-plus years throughout a lot of the country. We had the record wildfires out west. Of course, the, the one we feature in the film is uh, the Waldo Canyon fire that burned over 300 homes. Uh, and then, of, of course, we had you know severe tornadoes and flooding, and and probably the most recognized in, in recent time is Hurricane Sandy, and I think all those those factors combined uh, really started to wake people up in this country a little bit more into to recognizing that this hey this is real you know this this is this isn't something that's affecting some polar bears somewhere and or some island that that we've barely heard of this is actually happening in our in our backyards and so. Perhaps it's time we, we deal with it. And and by the way, all predicted by the modeling done by the scientific community that this was going to happen. Hurricane Sandy was the latest storm to occur of that size in the northeast of the country, I think, ever. I think it was, mm-hmm. in, in, and especially given the enormity of that, of that storm, uh, it, it, it was a, a pretty remarkable uh, and hopefully telling uh, lesson, um, visual visual lesson 
for, uh, again, going back to the pol- politicians and the financial industry who support all, all have much of this, uh, lent much of their support to the deniers uh, moving forward. By the way, we're speaking with the filmmaker uh, Craig Rosebaugh, the director of Greedy Lying Bastards. And by the way, it's one of my favorite titles to say out loud on the air uh, <laughs> ever. And but it's such a it's such an accurate uh, uh, statement about these people. Um, I want to get a little bit into the uh, the actual people and you uh, the, the most prominent people involved in the denying of global uh, climate change the Koch brothers Charles and David I believe and ExxonMobil yep. but I mean really the Koch brothers they're I I think they're in the top seven or eight largest corporations in America am I correct about that they're number seven. Uh, yeah, yeah, they definitely, definitely are. Um, their their power as as a corporation is is enormous. Uh, outside of their political involvement, um, they have their hands in a, a, a wide wide number of, of industries from um, fertilizers, textiles, their cattle ranching. Their base their base has always been in oil, uh, but they even have consumer lines. They own Georgia Pacific. Um, they have a lot of of. Uh, Different types of consumer products that we see on on our grocery store shelves, Dixie plates, for instance, um, Angel soft toilet paper, Brawny, those kind of things. So uh, they they've been a very strong powerhouse uh, in in terms of industry, uh, buying up different uh, companies and and uh, really kind of renovating them for for maximization of of profits. And they've been very successful at it. And have they've amassed uh, billions of dollars for for the heads of the company, uh, David and Charles Koch. And they have been very active and very smart in their in their way of using that money to establish a dozens of front groups uh, from political to kind of uh, uh, astroturfing sort of groups uh, in support of uh, these think tanks, which has been something that the right uh, has been very good at for the last 30 or 40 years, establishing these so-called think tanks, giving some credibility to this uh, insane nonsense and but but allows them access to the media in a way that was uh, unheard of and would still be unheard of were it not for the amounts of money and political clout that these think tanks now have right i mean that's definitely correct and just to give give a perspective on how much money we're talking about here just to the climate change denial campaign and these are the front groups that that Coke funds, or directly to you know the individuals that come out on Fox News that really spout the the rhetoric um, about uh, climate change being a myth, to con- you know basically to con- con- confuse the the public and lawmakers. The Koch brothers we've traced uh, since uh, really 1997 through this last year, 2012, spent over 67 million dollars funding this climate change denial campaign. Okay. Uh, and that's a lot of money. You know, yeah. these groups can do these front groups like Americans for Prosperity, for instance, that has a direct role or had a direct role in, in organizing the Tea Party nationwide. They can do a lot with a small amount of money. And uh, and they have. They've done they've done quite a bit. And of course, uh, the amount of money that the Koch brothers spent in the uh, the uh, this, this last election cycle was uh, unheard of. And you know, while we we feature that in the uh, the end of the credits, there's a bit of an epilogue, and we talk about how while they spent you know hundreds of millions of dollars in the this last election cycle, they ultimately lost. But you know, David Koch uh, was quoted in Forbes, uh, you know, late late this last year, saying that you know although although we've lost, we're not going away. We're we're basically uh, we're in this fight till the end. 
So, you know, in, in his in his perspective, in this fight means uh, doing what they can uh, to to maximize the political regulations in support of their own industries, and that is a direct conflict with uh, any kind of activity to lower greenhouse gas emissions and and help uh, lower the the rate of climate change. And by the way, this fits into sort of my perspective on you know the difference between people who organize sort of grass real grassroots organizations and people who go out and fight for civil rights and the environment and all the rest of it. These people have are living, breathing human beings who are involved in these projects and have other parts of their lives as well. So, but the difference between that and somebody like a Coke is that money doesn't sleep. Money will always win. In the not always win, but it will always it w- it will not go away because th- when you have this amount of money, there will always be someone who will step up and do your bidding, and and uh, for all the reasons that are pretty uh, pretty obvious and avaristic, um, and that's really their their advantage is these people yeah. are relentless about it, and I, I just real quick I don't want to give any real play to these people, but I think for our listeners when they see or hear somebody on on behalf of you know Americans for Growth or uh, Americans for Prosperity I can't remember the name of the organization Prosperity yeah, yeah guys like Tim Phillips and uh, Dr Fred Singer uh, these yeah. these are these should be red flags when you see the Tim Phillips did I say him Tim uh, some of these people, uh, James Enoff. And by the way, I think it's important real uh, in, in the time we have remaining to point out just how politically plugged in these people are. Uh, James Enoff has been probably the, the most reliable ally in the United States Senate uh, from Oklahoma, an oil state, in which he has essentially said that it's a hoax, the worst, the biggest hoax in the history of mankind, I think. Was a quote from Correct. him. Yeah. Uh, he uh, was very powerful in blocking uh, legislation that would have been a positive development in terms of dealing with climate change. But I think the most important person that you highlight in the film, in terms of the political influence, would have to be uh, uh, Supreme Court Justice Clarence Thomas. Tell us a little Correct. bit about his his involvement uh, and and where it ties in with us. Sure. Uh, we feature Clarence Thomas in the film uh, specifically in regards to the uh, Citizens United Supreme Court decision and the, the dramatic uh, impact that's had on allowing unlimited campaign contributions from corporations. Uh, and uh, Clarence Thomas uh, has been um, uh, really uh, uh, tied to the corruption within that particular case, I think, more so than anybody else. And it started out with uh, the Koch brothers, uh, for a number of years, have held uh, very private, high-level strategy sessions with kind of a who's who in the Republican Party. Uh, And that's not only politicians, but funders, financial backers, uh, anybody that has any kind of influence. They they, uh, invite these individuals to a private retreat, and they have an agenda at at those meetings to basically talk about how they can further their own values within the the political and public arena in the United States. So they had one of these um, uh, that Clarence Thomas was not only invited to, but Clarence Thomas went and spoke. And coincidentally, this was the same uh, the same year that uh, Citizens United Supreme Court case or uh, court case was brought to the Supreme Court, um, 
And uh, in 2000, 2008, I believe, it was originally brought to the Supreme Court. Look, cr- and Craig, uh, Craig, so excuse- Clarence Thomas went and spoke at this Koch Brothers-funded uh, an organized strategy event. And at that same event on the agenda was, uh, you know, campaign campaign uh, contributions and, and how to uh, basically open up the door to, to try and uh, get more allowance for corporate campaign contributions. So here's Clarence Thomas talking about, uh, you know, giving speeches at this particular Coke event. The same year Citizens United is brought to and accepted by the, the very Supreme Court, when the case is argued in front of the Supreme Court, we have a an attorney that uh, was outside, has served as outside counsel uh, to the Koch brothers that argued the particular case. We had uh, the Koch brothers funded organizations, uh, the Cato Institute, the Institute for Justice. Uh, they actually uh, wrote and submitted amicus briefs uh, to the court in support of Citizens United. And, uh, you know, in, in 2010, the court, the court uh, found in favor of Citizens United. And the, the one other thing that kind of put it, put it over the top in terms of Clarence Thomas's involvement was back in the early 90s when uh, Clarence Thomas was uh, first being considered uh, for the court, uh, there were a number of, of senators that were uh, considering voting against him. There was an organization that came out in support of Clarence Thomas and ran negative attack ads uh, on TV against the senators that were thinking of voting against Clarence Thomas. And that very organization was Citizens United. So if that's not a conflict of interest, uh, then I don't know what is. And the impact that that had, not only on, on just you know campaign contributions all across the board on every issue was dramatic, but when it comes to climate change, uh, we saw a dramatic uh, change in in uh, the amount of money uh, that was given to certain candidates in, in the 2010 midterm election. There were a number of Tea Party candidates that were immediately put in office that were bankrolled. Uh, they were very supportive of the Koch brothers, and it went as far as when they got in office in 2010, Americans for Prosperity circulated a petition that these lawmakers were, were pressured into signing, saying, I will not do anything uh, regarding climate change. I will, not, uh, I will not support any regulations. I will not you know, agree to, to back any kind of, of reductions of greenhouse gas emissions. And numerous Tea Party candidates that were supported by the Koch industries signed that. Uh, in the 2010 uh, midterm election. And again, these were bankrolled heavily by Koch Industries uh, and different organizations that stood, stood to benefit financially uh, from getting these guys in office who would turn their back on, on environmental regulations. And if I'm not mistaken, didn't Clarence Thomas's wife get a job as sort of the organizer, head organizer for the Virginia Tea Party or some it was an organization that was directly related? Am I, is that... Um, yeah, there, that was even more a bit of a, a, a conflict of interest with with uh, um, uh, Virginia uh, Thomas. Um, she received a a, uh, a gift, I guess, of five hundred thousand uh, dollars during the time that uh, close to the end of of when uh, Citizens United was being uh, considered. Uh, to start a group called Liberty Consulting, a lobbying firm, right. and uh, that money really, uh, you know, came as a result of believing that this this Supreme Court case was going to go through and it was going to be approved. Yeah. Um, and and Liberty Liberty uh, 
Consulting is uh, it's a lobbying firm that's very much in in support of the Tea Party and and of course the uh, big oil and and the uh, the Koch brothers. And and didn't, didn't if I'm you help me out here, didn't they forget to to put that on their tax return? Wasn't there some there was some brouhaha over they forgot that they had that money they had gotten that money and they so they filed some sort of amendment to their tax return. I believe so. Yeah, I mean it seems so, <laughs> so easy. To, I mean a five hundred thousand yeah, dollar I mean, donation. Who, it's really easy to forget. Who hasn't sure. done that, <laughs> Craig? Who hasn't amongst us uh, forgotten about that five hundred thousand dollars they made? But geez, <laughs> uh, I mean, I, I mean, it the just the only one I can think of offhand is uh, is Clarence and Virginia Thomas. <laughs> yeah, that's right. That is right. <laughs> Yeah, well, it, it it's really such a remarkable story. I, I've kept you a l- I thank you for all this time. But I, um, before we end here, I want to once again remind our listeners that we're speaking with Craig Rosebra, the director of Greedy Lying Bastards, a documentary that's in theaters now as we speak here on March fifteenth, two thousand and thirteen. Uh, at the Lemley Playhouse 7 in uh, Pasadena and at the Lemley NoHo 7 in North Hollywood. Um, and what are the plans uh, for Greedy Lying Bastards as it moves around the country and in, into um, other platforms? Tell me a little bit about the, the game plan, if you will. Sure. I uh, just wanted to say briefly, too, we're also um, in the uh, Sundance Sunset Theater on Sunset Boulevard in L.A., oh. as well as the two um, Lemleys that, that you um, brought up. So, oh, fantastic. Um, it, it, we opened uh, last week yeah. on March 8th in um, about 30 cities. We had 51 theaters uh-huh. uh, nationwide. We had a pretty pretty wide opening for a documentary. Mm-hmm. And uh, so a number of those locations we held over. We did, did well and held over uh, Los Angeles, New York, San Diego. San Francisco, um, Washington, D.C., Denver. Um, and uh, today we open in Toronto. Um, we're excited about that. And uh, we're, we're trying to get out to as many locations as we can. We kind of hit the big cities initially, so uh, we're going to take the film theatrically in the U.S. as wide as we can, uh, wherever there's an interest, in, and it seems to be doing well. And uh, after that, in the U.S., we are uh, definitely going uh, for a, um, a video on demand and uh, DVD and Blu-ray uh, distribution. And then on the international front, uh, we do have theatrical distribution lined up in the United Kingdom. And uh, we are looking right now, we have a sales agency, um, uh, international sales agency based in the U.K., and they are busy shopping the film right now and trying to get us uh, additional additional markets to to screen in and show the film uh, but ideally I'd like to have the film uh, all over all over Europe uh, yeah. definitely in Australia New Zealand South Africa yeah. and then see if we can get it uh, as well into some of the South American countries um, and uh, some of the Asian countries and, and see if we can get you know the information as wide as possible because it is an international issue it's an international film and uh, I think that the more people we can get internationally to come together on this issue the better we're going to be as, as a community well I, I uh, just two comments on that I, I hesitate to have this film a play in Europe and a restaurant around the rest of the world because it'll just make people mad at at us just kidding. They're just going to be upset with us. And no, I'm kidding. I think it's fantastic that it's getting out there. And the second thing that I wanted to say uh, is who's now? Who's the? I forgot the name of the clown from Australia who uh, is the climate denier. What's his name again? Uh, the one from Australia is Ian Plymer. Yes. And the, yeah, and the, he is. He is the actually. You know, the sometimes the the relationship of these guys to the industry is so overt that it's it's almost 
laughable. And this this guy comes out and he's written, uh, you know, I think, w- w- at least one book on on uh, disputing the the climate science, as as he calls it. And it's all been debunked left and right by by a lot of of climatologists around the world. And uh, it's it's a kind of a no brainer to look at uh, at why he has the opinions he does and. If you look at his resume, he's the director of, I believe it's at least six mining companies in his native Australia. Yeah. <laughs> so there's there's a direct, you know, uh, relationship between you know his professional life and and the the uh, where he gets his money and of course the the uh, opinions he has on on climate science. But it doesn't re- prevent him from repeating these same sort of lies that have been debunked over and over again. And and I, th- <laughs> it's funny. I mean, watching him in the film uh, is just. I mean, it it's it'd be funny if it wasn't such a serious issue. The uh, and here is Australia, which I believe in the last what six seven months ago was basically on fire. The mm-hmm. whole the almost most of I mean a good portion of that country was experiencing the worst wildfires in its history, while this clown is running around denying uh, that. Uh, that, that this climate change is occurring. By the way, just on a personal note, I have spent, uh, I was fortunate enough to travel to New Zealand and Australia, and I, I'll tell you, I got off the plane in in uh, Wellington, and I have never felt in the intensity of sun to the degree I did when I got off the plane um, at, at, at that airport. And I, will, and I was told, this was several years ago, it was at a time when the, there was a hole in the ozone, this ozone layer in let me start over. Hole in the ozone layer that was apparently circulating around that part of the atmosphere, and if you mm-hmm. ever want a sort of a, a direct object lesson in 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 a, a world to come, is to to be in a place where you feel so little of the biosphere that's un, that's not impeding the the direct sunlight. It is a it's a scary feeling if you know that that's kind of a world that we may be heading uh, to heading towards. So. It, all of this is it, it. This is such a good film, and so many levels. As I said, uh, it's entertaining, it's an informative, and it also gives you as a, a viewer the opportunity to act on your anger, which you'll you'll feel uh, by the time the film is uh, comes to an end, uh, and you, you'll be able to act on it, and and you give some concrete ways to go about doing that, as well as the website for Greedy Lying Bastards. Give us that website address website is greedylinebastards.com. Okay, good. And also, uh, uh, Daryl Hanna was the, an executive producer on this, and uh, you have a clip from uh, from her appearance on uh, The O'Reilly Factor, which was entertaining. And just, <laughs> just to see the sort of the condescending, patronizing way in which he in which he spoke with uh, Daryl Hanna is is enough to make your, your hair fall out. It really is quite, quite a striking thing. And uh, she handled herself very well under the circumstances. Uh, she's a great spokesman for for uh, this on this issue and and for greeting lying bastards as well. Thank you so much for being here, Craig. Thank you very much for having me. I appreciate it. You've been listening to Film School Radio, the on-air online showcase for the best in independent documentary and foreign films. You can find out more about the program at filmschoolradio.com. I'm your host, Mike Kaspar. Thank you for tuning in, and we'll see you next week with another edition of Film School Radio.